Hello, thank you for coming. This is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast made by me, Helen Perry, for you, creatives who are promoting your work online. Every week we chat to someone who's doing it too and I ask them what they've learned and they tell us that the answer to most of our questions is on the other side of just bloody doing something. Listen to the podcast. Everyone says just start. This time, Steph Douglas, the founder of Don't Buy Her Flowers, talks to us about what she is really selling. That core of your brand needs to translate to everything. And actually, sometimes the product almost becomes, it's not the central thing. So for us, the key bit is how people feel when they receive a package and how the person who sent it feels when they get that message saying, oh my God, this is the most thoughtful gift I got when I had my baby or when somebody died and you knew what I needed. And so a lot of our marketing isn't actually about the product. Steph got the idea for her gifting business when she was sent more bouquets of flowers than she had vases for after the birth of her first baby. She was like, what the hell do I need all these for? With the greatest love and thanks. So she started a blog, which turned into a company selling alternative, much better gift ideas like chocolate brownies and books and gin, the things we really want when we need to be spoilt and shown love. Now the business has scaled to turn over millions of pounds a year. How's she done it? How's it going? How's she balanced it with a happy marriage and kids? We're going to find out. But I began by asking Steph what her typical day as the founder of Don't Buy Her Flowers is like. So it varies wildly depending, I've got three kids, so it kind of depends on them. And I go, I'm based in near Richmond and my warehouse and most of my team are in Gloucestershire. So like I'm there this week, Wednesday, Thursday, most weeks I go down um, for a couple of days. So obviously that's very different because then I'm not getting kids ready and screaming at them to clean their teeth. Um, Whereas if I'm here, then they'll be offloading some children somewhere. And actually my kids do quite a bit of wraparound care. So the nine till three is not long enough to do anything. Um, And so, yeah, that's something that I've had to kind of grapple with a little bit because then sometimes we're like, oh, but not everyone does that. But I think I have come to terms that it's like if I want to run a business and my husband works as well, like we both, this is the life we've chosen is that we both work. And I think the key with that is that if the kids start school and they start doing breakfast club and after school club, they don't really know any different. And then my eldest is 12 and he's at secondary school. So he does, he can come and go and get himself there. So, so at some point they will be doing that, the rest of them. Um, yeah, so the yeah. exercise usually features as well. I'm quite keen to at least sort of four, four or five times a week to do something with my body. <laughs> yeah, it keeps a lot of people sane and moving. It's a side note, but I mean, it's so interesting what you say about the school hours and school term things. I often will say to like a first time mum or mum with under fives, like, my God, this is the easy bit. Just wait until they're in school. The hours are so and then it, and it's a and, holiday oh, like holidays. You, they like, come they just keep coming they keep coming they do not stop and also the easter catches me out every year because it's two full weeks and there's not like lots of i mean there's bank holidays but there's not loads of things going on and family you know it's not like christmas where it's all plotted out it's like two full weeks but 
yeah, I think you have to you have to work out what you need to do your work and then work back from that. And I was really lucky that friends who had had children before me were like, when I was like, oh, I don't think I can, at the beginning when my first went to school, I don't think I can put them in clubs. I feel too good. They were like, you have to do what you've got to do. Just do it from the start. Just rip the plaster off. And then they'll just think that that's what school is. Like Frank just, I think, thinks that it's normal to have breakfast at school most days. And so... That's what he does. You don't serve yourself well or your business well or your job or whatever it is if you're trying to take on too much out of it from a place of guilt. Like, mm. oh no, I, I'll get them in for the start of school and then I'll work till midnight. I don't know, whatever the compromise yeah, 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 is. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. it's like, it doesn't no. work. And yeah. do you know what, just as, just as an extra added bonus, I was spent some time, I went to, I took my mum to a spa last week and her parents were, um, had, were entrepreneurs and they had a cafe, restaurant, shop like deli business in Bridport um and so it would have been like 50s and 60s and she was and we'd never really talked about this but she was saying that her mum and dad and especially her mum used to work really really hard and they lived above the shop and she can remember feeling a bit aggrieved that like her mum wasn't there all the time or that they were just had like and they had the leftovers for tea and that um her mum wasn't making her dresses like everyone else's mum and all that stuff she was like and then I got a bit older and, and then I just thought, wow, that was amazing that my mum did that. And so I, I, I'm holding on to that, okay? <laughs> but I think it's really important to hear that from a 76-year-old who is just like, yeah, I, I didn't feel, you know, annoyed about it once I was an adult. Oh, man. You should talk to our parents more. That's another side. Yeah, yeah. yeah as yeah. real people about their real lives. Yeah. Um, Steph, you tell us, why don't you tell us the story of the business uh, from like you know from one who knows how did it all get started um so as you said I had my I had my first baby and I received a load of flowers really well meant flowers and I, I I never mean to sound ungrateful but um I was really overwhelmed I had a tiny new baby um I felt really angry at my husband because I just that's what happens when you have a baby you might feel a bit of rage and all these flowers kept coming and it was like, oh, this is really nice. People are sending me stuff. I hadn't even considered that was something that was going to happen. But very quickly, I had like two vases. I didn't know what to do with them. And also, they, so they would sit there for like a day before I would eventually get around to maybe doing something with them. Or I'd send someone would come and I'd send them away with them. And it just is a really odd gift. And when you stop and think about it, because every now and then I'll get people going, oh, but I love flowers. Flowers are lovely. It's like, yeah, but there's lots of occasions when... They're not a very thoughtful gift. They, they don't help you. I mean, yes, they're beautiful to look at, but they're not going to offer you a bit of TLC. They're not going to feed you. They're not going to, I don't know, like all the like comfort and the things that we do that so might be like amazing bubble bath or cashmere socks or a really good gin and tonic, like little treats that might offer some TLC and comfort. And actually the giver is saying, you know, the person sent, giving the present is saying, I know that you need a bit of TLC with that. You know, it's, it's a recognition of this person is probably pretty spent. And whether that's bereavement or get well or even birthday, like we're all pretty spent most of the time now. So actually birthdays become our biggest reason that people send our packages. Um, but yeah, and get well and miscarry, like all these things where where somebody needs a bit of comfort. And so 
yeah, the, the the market is considerably bigger than what I thought it was because when I started, I just started it as gifts for new mums, um, and and you can put packages together bespoke. You can you've got ready made options, or you can hand pick and go. Oh no, they're like dark chocolate. No, they're like a thriller rather than a rom com book. Like you can do all of those things, and that's what makes it quite unique. And seventy percent of our customers choose to go bespoke and completely put something completely bespoke together so which is great for me because that tells me that that's what they want you know the core idea is is what they want um yeah I went on there yesterday and built like a mothering Sunday book club type thing over the course of three months it's really cool oh yeah book subscription the, yeah choose the different books that, or it, in my mind it was mothering Sunday I don't think that was how it was marketed but um yeah you know three three different books and different treats that went with them it was really cool really a really nice thing to do um and you can make it suit the person you're sending it to absolutely um uh, the beginning of the business sounds like an epic juggle that I'm not quite sure how you managed. You had young, two young children and a job and don't buy her flowers all running at the same time. Is that right or not quite well, right? Well, I'd left my... So I was working and I started a blog first. Right. So um, because it was free and it gave me opportunity to find did people feel like I felt because at the time at that point my kids were I think one and three and so this so, was a customer research type exercise it was but it sounds or, really or audience well building yeah both yeah. of those the community yeah. building all of that but it sounds like really strategic and it wasn't really it was more like I want to do something I was working in brand and marketing I was working in a big corporate I want to do something for myself maybe this is it the, the idea of don't buy her flowers um if I start a blog that's a step towards it that is manageable it's on my terms I have to build a platform to put that on I have to go on social media which I wasn't on that much before that I've got to do all those things and actually it was huge I learned so much in that time as well as building a community who crashed the website when I did launch the business um, because they got it 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 was I was writing about relationships and motherhood and also it was I mean now everyone's got a view on motherhood and you can't move for people's emotional kind of outpouring um, but at that point, nine years ago, it it wasn't. That was when to hurrah for Jin and the unmumsy mum and brummy mummy of two. Like we were all quite kind of peers and we know each other pretty well. And we're working, you know, at the same time we were doing it. There was a big group of mummy bloggers. I mean, this gross fa- phrase, but mummy bloggers who were writing quite honestly. And also like a lot of the writing is really good. You know, um, it was this a platform that hadn't previously existed. and that really got gained traction for me. And I wrote very honestly about how I'd felt when I'd had my kids who were a little bit older. So I wasn't raw writing it in that moment. So I, but I wrote about the massive rage I felt on my husband. I wrote about relationships and um, yeah, all of those things. And the response to that gave me the confidence that, okay, if people feel like I felt, then this business makes sense. It makes sense that you would give someone TLC rather than another thing to look after. Um so that it what it what in lots of ways it tested the idea it built an audience it did all of those things and i think now seo experts will be telling you to get copy on your website right and to to do as much of that kind of content creation as you can because you're giving your audience something a bit more so actually that it you know that works for us it requires patience to build into something that way had, had you always known at that point i really i kind of want to make a business here i want no no, no. <laughs> 
I was really happy taking a salary. But it kind of was like it all collided at the same time, whereas my kids were, you know, it was that running, I've worked in town in London, so it was getting the, getting the, making sure you got that train and you always knew there was the one at 12 minutes past or the one at 17 minutes past. And the 17 minutes past one would mean you've got to run to get to nursery before it closes, like all of that. And it's quite stressful. But also I'd sit in a meeting and they'd be talking about a full stop on a poster and there'd be six people in the meeting and it'd be like, this is, I don't care enough. And that doesn't mean that those jobs aren't important. But at that particular point of my life, I was kind of like, oh, I feel like I should be doing something more. If I'm paying all this money for childcare, which is just extortionate um, where we live, and I'm racing back and forth and I'm putting all this energy into this, I, could that be better spent somewhere else? And also just the idea wouldn't go away because... I, by that point, I'd had two children. Lots of friends were having babies and they got it. Like they'd all go. And I'd, I'd give a friend, I friend, my friend Alex, I sent her some chocolate and a magazine and a jiffy bag. And she messaged me. She's like, oh my God, it was a care package. I got a care package and it was just for me. And our, one of our first packages we launched was called the care package because it was just, it, it wasn't particularly expensive. It's not like kind of a big all singing or dancing gift it's just like no I've thought about you in this moment and that's kind of core to everything we still do really so when did you take the big leap of faith and launch it did that require two questions did that require a big financial investment or was it just kind of your heart and soul at the beginning so I think our initial investment was 13 grand which was stock it was a website it was kit you know a laptop all the stuff that I just didn't have and um and did you do it from home initially did it from home I did it from home for two years which I would highly recommend because I, I my overheads were really low for the first nine months I was packing boxes on my knees in the spare room as well as doing kind of all the elements my brother-in-law built the website which actually we only changed 18 months ago um so he was involved a lot for those first few years from the website point of view but I, I was doing all of it and then I was talking to a friend and just like I, I can't like all I'm doing is packing boxes because it was taking off it was you know I mean the numbers aren't high if you compare them to where they are now or, or where they could be but it was it was going from nothing it was like oh my first month was 30 orders or something like that but as that grew and it did grow month on month we had a really busy first mother's day was really busy and that again that was my point where I was like oh there's something in this because these aren't my friends and family it's kind of going beyond that um but yeah so nine months in I was saying to someone that I just can't do this and so they they were like would well, you need to pay someone to come in and pack and I was obviously it was all me doing it so I was like well I, I don't know if anyone else could pack it you know my gift wrapping and my technique obviously of course they that can special I know and this is a message <laughs> to anyone because it took a, it took quite a few conversations of other people who are more experienced than me in business just saying yes they can and if you don't give that up you cannot grow your business and that is entirely right. Like I, and every time I've given something up, like when we moved the business out of the house at two years, or I took on someone else, you know, or taking on different people, having someone do the customer service rather than me doing it all, it allowed the business to grow, which of course it does. But it's nerve wracking. It's really scary when you're 
when you know it's, it's money, isn't it? Ultimately. Yeah, it's a, com- it's a commitment to pay someone. Uh, mm. And, you know, the perceived risk of will it be as good as, as I can do it? Yeah. And will people care as much? You have quite a big team now. I was uh, reading about them on your website over the weekend. Tell, yeah. us, about, tell us about your guys who are so, running the show. So my brother is the uh, ops director. So he he joined two years in and it was a casual conversation where he joked that he could be involved in the business and he could run it from Gloucestershire where we are from and most of my family still live and I was like oh ha 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 and drove off and then was like oh my god he could do that and I would trust it and that was a massive part of it I would wholeheartedly trust him to take over the operations of everything um, which is a big leap Uh, so he was my first kind of proper salaried person um, and two of my best mates who I went to school with, um, one, she started doing the customer services from Spain where she lived at the time. She was like just helping me out a little bit about a year in. And then another friend came initially to do a bit of packing and then she's ended up, she runs the warehouse and she's brilliant at it. Like all the team love her. And that's quite a tricky position because you've got a real mix of people in a warehouse and some of the work would be quite monotonous and she has managed to build a team along with my brother he's very good at hiring so they've managed to bring people in who who you know enjoy it and are great at their jobs um so yeah that's kind of, and then my head of marketing Hannah I used to work with in my job prior to starting Don't Buy Flowers and she used to we'd meet up every few months and she'd be like when, when are you going to be ready for me then to to come and help you um and so she started a few years ago so yeah, and and oh, it sounds a, lovely. I can tell there'll be people listening, like, oh, tell tell me when you've got a vacancy. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, a really, they're a good really team. Nice team. They were they were incredible during the pandemic because for us the business rocketed and yeah, I bet that's exactly. I did things like that during the pandemic. Just like I sent cocktail making kits, yeah, and, you know, whatever yeah. sourdough starters and things to people. Yeah. So it's just your only way of kind of saying. Hello, that is connection, yeah. yeah, entirely. And so we, it was just a really strange time to to see the business kind of flourish and see what it was capable of. Um, whilst it was amazing, but also it's quite scary. And if you kind of have to remember that at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know who had it, how you had it, you couldn't test for it. You had to keep everyone separate. You didn't really know how infectious it was. And so that was, it was scary and leading a team in that time I learned a lot about, I mean, just you can't communicate enough, really, like how much people need to hear from you and see you. So I was in Stroud a lot, which left Doug here, my husband here with three children (laughs) homeschooling, which was, you know, fine with me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that, but they they were amazing and they're in it with me. That, That core group that I've mentioned, they are really in it and that means a lot. Do you think you're a good boss? I always doubt myself. I think you'd be a bit of a grim person if you swanned about thinking you're really good. I think um, I do try and communicate a lot, and I know if I can, I'm I have empathy, and I think I'm good at that. So if somebody's not right and something's not right, I hope that I will tackle that. I think when you're running a small business when people are having a bad time at home or they've got something else on their mind or it might be you know someone's health or something like that it it comes through to work it's always going to I'm sure it does in everywhere you work but in a big company probably aren't going to notice it as much um and so you you end up being more than just someone's boss like you're all as a team everyone needs to care for each other because you're there and and 
it's like a small space where you're physically all together and connected all the time. So, yeah, I think I'd like to think that I am. I think I le- I've learned a lot. Um, and it's and it's tough. The business is really tough at the moment. Like consumer sentiment, retail in the UK is really tricky, and that puts a pressure on. Which I'm, but I'm getting messages from them every now and then, going, "You're doing a great job. Are you okay?" I know it's really hard at the moment. So, and I was saying to Doug, "Oh, that makes me feel almost like I'm failing." And he was like, "No, because they they they're part of your team. Like they want to make sure that you're okay. It works both ways, which actually is lovely." Um, but yeah, you also want to protect everyone from the really shitty stuff because it's their, you know, it's not their job to worry about that stuff. That's mine. You came to the project with a brand and marketing background. Mm-hmm. How has that helped make it a success? Do you think? I think massively because you you're looking at it. I think the key thing is always looking at it from the consumer point of view. So what does the customer want? What are they worried about? What are they wanting to send gifts for? How do they want someone to feel? Um, and that's really key, I think, for for any business. It's really key. But with a background in man, brand and marketing, I would hope that I've got that. Um, and also doing stuff on the cheap not having to farm everything out yes. to agencies yes it, it's, having the having the ability to to create effective content yeah you can write copy yeah, yeah you can write copy you can identify who your consumer is without spending tens of thousands of pounds on some research to tell you who your customer is you know you can talk you can pick up the phone and talk to your customer and be able to present in a certain way without again having to spend loads of money finding those people and and especially at the beginning that's really key but actually even now I know we did an event once and we turned up and it was me and a friend and we had a high-vis jacket and we'd hired a van and we had all this stuff and we were doing it on the cheap because that's what we would do um and there were people setting up who were obviously like events companies and they would have been paid thousands of pounds to set up this thing and then the person kind of fronting it came along who possibly wasn't employed by the company they were probably also from the events company and it was a real moment of going like oh we we could do that one day but actually it's better if you don't and I don't mean that you should do everything yourself because as we said earlier that you need to be able to farm stuff out but it's very very easy to stack up costs that you don't need in your business and and it, yeah, who's and a better so, representative of your business than you? Uh, and the likelihood of, of the returns being what you know you can you talking about what you love and are passionate about, and, mm-hmm. and you know then it starts to relate more easily to the customer. And if somebody else who really doesn't care about your business and is getting paid ten pounds an hour. Mm-hmm. is being sold to you as a way to find new customers. I wouldn't be particularly optimistic about that. Serving yeah. your but you know, you seeing a great return on that investment. Yeah. Um let right, let's just talk to people who don't have that background for a second about mm-hmm. it's all about I thinking about everything. For me it's all about thinking about how everything that you do or everything that you sell, how it relates to the person that you want to buy it. Because that is where I think I probably see with a lot of my clients. Nobody's ever told them that before. No one's ever really said it's not about you. It's not about look at this amazing hairbrush with all the. It's it's about how it can improve your customers' mm-hmm. life. Yes. So how do you communicate that with with customers of don't buy her flowers? Yeah, I think 
some the key thing for us actually is thoughtfulness. So if we take that as an example, the, the key for the business is thoughtfulness. So that's in the products we choose, where those products are from, the companies we work with, the packaging we use, the way our team respond to emails. So you get an angry email, which you're going to get from someone going, my parcel didn't turn up. And how we respond to that as thoughtful, you're conscious that that person might be sending something to someone who's having a really shitty time or whatever that is. And that, and how we are with each other as well, like I mentioned about the kind of supporting each other, especially the last few years. And I think your that, that core of your brand needs to translate to everything. And actually, sometimes the product almost becomes, it's not the, the central thing. So for us, the key bit is how people feel when they receive a package and how the person who sent it feels when they get that message saying, oh my God, this is the most thoughtful gift I got when I had my baby or when somebody died and you knew what I needed. And like those, that is a core bit. So a lot of our marketing isn't actually about the products. That That's almost not a tick box exercise, but that's almost just got to be done. That's that's just an essential piece that gets done, that we bring in new products that we really think about and we look at where they're from and the packaging and all of that stuff. That's just an expectation that we will absolutely do that. The, the core bit is how does the recipient feel and how does the customer feel in their experience with us? And that's, and that's where they come back. And that's why you get a 40% repeat customer rate or, you know, that's the key bit. You have your own Instagram account mm-hmm. and it's also one for the company. What other social media marketing are you guys doing? Um, so we do some Facebook and Facebook ads um, and Twitter. I think Instagram is our main platform probably where we get most interaction. And I initially, I just had my account and then I was having a baby and was like oh god how's this gonna work and also I I set up the don't buy her flowers account but I used to just broadcast so I would just tell people what we did and again it was probably was a lot about product because like oh we've got a new product oh look here's me packing a box and then um we bought in Nicola who is online as too much mothering information she's brilliant she had just at the time she'd just done the digital mums um social media course and so this was 2017 and I was pregnant and she got in touch and was like oh I'd really love to look at your business from a social media point of view and I was like well actually I'm having a baby and I'm worrying about how I'm going to do this so she started doing the don't buy her flowers account and she immediately did like an audit and she was like you're broadcasting to people you're not giving them content you're not engaging with them it's you know and what are your pillars what are your themes like you've got motherhood is it thoughtfulness is it family is it I don't know all those things and so she kind of did that, which if I'd had time and energy, I probably... Yeah, I was going to say, which I think done. you kind you probably... Often you kind of know you're, yeah. you're doing something. I know this could be better, but I, I just, I can't. Well, this I is think, all I can, you know. I think often people, when you're, when it's another thing to do, and I think you see this a lot with small business and any, any business on their social media, they do just broadcast because it's like, well, what I do know I need to do is tell people about my product or my service. So as long as I'm doing that, I'm doing the bare minimum that's okay but actually it's really dull for anybody looking at it so it doesn't really it it doesn't really it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't make you stand out it doesn't tell them anything about you yeah people can find you you know they can click the link whatever Mm -hmm. but if you really want it to work it needs to engage in a in a bigger better way yeah yeah 
Um, and that, and I think, but I do think if you can do your, like talking to people who maybe don't have a background in brand and marketing, if you, there's, there's lots of stuff you can read, there's podcasts like yours, like there's ways to find out enough to, to dip your toe in and start doing it. But I think it is the very best way to learn what works and, and also just hear from your customers. Like they will be able to message you and engage with you and it takes up time, but maybe that's at the beginning that's a key thing for you to do and it doesn't cost you anything. Um, like yeah. the, we built the business initially on PR, social media, blog posts, like anything that didn't cost me anything. We did that for a good few years. Um, and, uh, you know, if you just copy, like if you're, if you're not really sure what to do as a founder, go and follow people like you and like, well, so what does Steph write about? Mm -hmm. Oh, she just like maybe writes about bath time or whatever. I don't know. I can do that. You know, just go and look, really look and pay attention to what other people are doing Mm. and see what, see how you can sort of do the same. I think the the key bit, so for example, like, so say, say it's a stationary company. It's like, what do people who are into stationary what are they interested in? What else are they engaged in? Or if it's a food product or baby weaning, what, okay, recipes or... Like, there's, it's so... Once you go down that route and you go, oh, yeah, it's, it's not that hard, of course, that's what people do. But I think people think they have to stick to their particular product or their particular service. It's like there's this whole halo around it of things that your audience is going to be interested in. And that also means you can combine with other people who are not doing the same thing as you but they are doing things with that audience and then you can pair up and you can benefit from each other and we did loads of that at the beginning especially because you could find other businesses who are also trying to build their audience who had the same audience I don't think it's my actual idea I think I read it somewhere (laughs) but I can't think who to credit but I'll just take it (laughs) just take it it's look at the whole person who is the whole person you're speaking to like what are they interested in other, I mean, almost other than your product is where all the good stuff is. It's all yeah, the, you know, like our um, corporate gifting for us has really grown. In and I think at the moment, people, businesses are dealing with lots of people working remotely, and they're trying to engage their you know team. And we so PAs and EAs are quite a big market for us because, but they're quite hard to reach because they don't all sit in one place. But you could probably build a profile of what a lot of PAs and EAs are into. And what they're doing yeah. and where they are. And then you can communicate through that. Because actually they might come to us as B2C customers who go into their work and go, oh, I had this really great gift and it would work for our workplace. Rather than going, oh, where are all the corporates hanging out? Because they're not. They're actual humans yeah. who are also hanging out yeah, in where don't. we are. <laughs> I'm just going to open Instagram and find out what the corporate latest is. Yeah. And it's not It's like not there with Erica Davis or wherever they are. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, how much of your social... Uh, do you still have your hands on, if you like? What are you still doing yourself? Um, so I have my own account. And actually, everything else at the moment is run by Nicola um, and our head of marketing. And we have conversations where we discuss the strategy and what's coming up and things like um, we might team up with authors whose books we're stocking or influencers who put, like, we just did, relaunched the new mum package. And so looking at, people who've recently had babies because I'm a bit past it now probably and like getting their idea of well, how would you put a package together what would you put in it and you know and the people who've got books coming out and then we can shout about their book or stock their book so we I'm, I might see people or have relationships with people that I can then loop in but actually 
I think it's really important to be able to hand over the social media and be pretty confident that they they've got your tone and the language and the themes and all that stuff because otherwise it's it's one thing and I think small businesses quite often get really het up on social media understandably because it is technically free and it's an important way to engage with people but it can't be your only way of engaging with people how how I'm thinking about how Instagram's changed you know I talk about this a lot a great deal for people in the Mm -hmm. past 12 18 months were your eggs already fairly well split across a lot of baskets uh I guess there's a few questions in there uh how do do you feel about how Instagram has changed as Mm -hmm. your primary platform have you been completely chill about that or has it been a bit anxiety inducing um so I think, well, my my background was actually about integrated marketing. So it was about looking at all the different elements. Um, and so I think that's key rather than relying on one. Uh, it, it, it's harder. So you work, so you work in, in, a, in a safer position than somebody who had most of their audience on Instagram. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And, and I think every now and then you get a reminder where someone loses their account or people are going on and on about the algorithm and you're kind of like, right, okay. But I think I loved your post which was a classic just bloody post-it where talking about overthinking and trying to think about how the person's going to receive it before you can post anything and then you end up kind of numb to doing anything you know not able to do anything kind of paralyzed by it because you're trying to figure it out and I think now people do that because you're like well I, I need to keep consistently getting that same number of likes and then you just don't do anything like I definitely do less on Instagram but then recently I've posted a few things. You're like, I, I know that's not going to get loads of likes, but yeah, does it matter? Does anyone care? It's a big thing to play. Yeah, but it's a big thing to play it, to play the game properly. And there are people doing it brilliantly with the way they're doing it. But that is so consuming. Like I definitely have moments, probably a few, good few years ago, Doug isn't on social media at all. And I knew lots of people who had massive accounts and I was getting offered money to post, you know, do ads and stuff. And I did a few, but I always didn't, it never sat that comfortably because I was like, well, I've got business and that's actually got to be my focus. And if I post something and it kicks off and people are really somehow offended by it, there's a risk now that I've got a team and a business. Um, but it's very easy to have your head turned and get caught up in that world because the money is I know people sell but you, you know you've got to really work for it. it's like well you do and you don't you do but also the money is ridiculous for what someone might be doing compared to someone who worked in a I don't know a hospital or a school for how many hours and is responsible for a load of people it's quite a strange world in that sense and Doug was always like uh we're out with the family what are you doing like he he wouldn't allow, not wouldn't allow me, but he would he'd be make it really clear that he was like, "What are you doing?" If it was, yeah, this taking is not over. up for grabs. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. but it's very. I can see how it becomes that way, and it's really yes. hard not to. And you see people who suddenly rocket because they've hit on some, a sweet spot that everybody's loving, and you see that growth, and then you'll see them post and go, "I'm I feel like I'm having a breakdown, or I'm burnt out, or." And yeah, because it's so consuming and you're going to be always chasing that high, which is yeah. not good. And no, it's not. And the returns, as we've seen, especially those who've been on any of these platforms over a period of time, the returns just diminish and diminish 
and diminish mm-hmm. um and you have to work harder and harder and harder and to give more point. and kind and of i think more, there's yeah. some really good um accounts where they've kind of said you've got to like mine your trauma and i think that's really interesting so you've got to be talking about all these awful things that have happened or a bereavement that you had or an eating disorder or a, and it's like oh, oh, man. Is... i have worries for people that's not you know that's no no that's but I can see why they're doing it because you get down that point. It's like, oh, but and those are the posts that get loads of traction, right? Yeah, they do. Do you have quite clear boundaries around what you share now or do you just as and when you feel like it? How do you write about your more the more personal side of your life? Um, I think I'm quite lucky that Doug has very, very thick skin. He just doesn't. I mean, it's, it's quite terrifying, but he doesn't scare or uh, he doesn't embarrass so as long as he's okay with it like if I posted something just being awful about him that wouldn't be okay but I've written about relationships I've written about our sex life I've I've talked about sex for people who've been together you know a while when you've just had a baby and that kind of thing and he as long as he isn't coming off really badly and I'm not just slating him because he's quite um, like I've on my podcast, I've talked quite a lot about relationships and the mental load and stuff. And he, we've been on kind of a journey together, understanding what that is and trying to work out how do we do this where we both work, we have three children, we both want to have a life, we also like each other most of the time. So how do we, you know, maintain our relationship? And so he's he's pretty good with me talking and writing about that. But I would usually show him something like that first. Like I had a Daily Mail article talking about sex after you've had children and he doesn't come off badly from it but it some people wouldn't like that but he's he's pretty good at stuff like that which is lucky so I um I love your love for Doug it's coming through (laughs) in the conversation something that struck a chord with me when I was researching um the conversation we were going to have was uh, you it was a piece that you wrote um on your blog on your website and it was about about Doug and, and him as a dad and a partner. Um, and in it, I haven't got the exact quote, but you say something like he has allow, allowed you to be your sort of full self outside of motherhood and the mm-hmm. family. And that resonates with me. It's why I started doing the work I'm doing because I just really needed it in here mm-hmm. to to have something for myself. Um, is that how you feel about your business? Yeah, I think it's it's realizing what you're capable of as well. Like I've worked in lots of places and I always had really good feedback. I would always have a, you know, your annual review would always be really good. But I suppose there's going to be limitations, especially when you're younger, of what you can do with that. And, or, you know, I worked in government for quite a long time. And so there's a, there's a hierarchy, you know, there's, you get to that level. And then when you've got to that level, then you have to go and interview for this level. It's not like someone's going, you're brilliant. And I'm not saying that I'm always brilliant, but, when you like there's lots of restrictions I think in lots of workplaces and actually I think when I started writing Doug was like whoa this is something we did not know about you like I I didn't really know I used to I loved writing as a kid I used to write pages and pages and pages and and I went on a creative writing workshops and things like that which is quite (laughs) geeky when you think about it but I think um I yeah, when I started writing and, and also like relating to people and getting across that kind of empathy and the nuance of relationships without it feeling like I'm attacking men, but being able to have those, being able to write about that. 
and getting those messages of, oh my God, this is how I feel, like especially for new mums and that kind of thing. I, I, that was amazing for me. Like, and I think Doug saw that and was like, this is really cool. This isn't something you even necessarily knew and you're discovering now. And maybe there's something in that one day with writing and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and, and probably managing a team as well. Like I'd manage people at work, but it's very different when you're kind of leading a team. So yeah, he is, he's, he's, you know, we've been married for 15 years, so it has its ups and downs, but he is really supportive. And I think it would be so hard to do it if somebody wasn't. Do you feel like you have fully explored what you're capable of now and you like the business the way it is you've hinted at the fact that this year's not as easy as perhaps the previous years might have been um and it's also it's really cool to hear from people about ups and downs because we sort of feel like life needs to be one upward well and i think business owners yeah 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 when there's a balance, isn't there, of business owners? Because you don't want to be like, oh, we're in the shit, because that, <laughs> that doesn't build customer confidence. But it's kind of also... So a lot of what you see on, especially on something like Instagram, will be people going, oh, we're so busy, and there's this pile of orders. And you're like, well, are those actual orders, or is that a prop? Is that... You don't know. So always take it at kind of face value, I'd say. So you keep going, you keep building. Have you got big plans or are the, the is the business as it is now suiting you really well yeah I think we we need to grow I think um we've been looking at we've got obviously the corporate gifting we've been looking at fulfillment for other small businesses as well so we've got two fulfillment clients which basically because because the b2c side of things the consumer side is just really unpredictable like we had from when we started in 2014 it was really steady growth it was really predictable then we had this massive growth during covid um, and then sort of April last year, it really dropped off. And we February this year has looked better, but I'm not, I can't, I can't take that for granted and assume that that means actually maybe things are turning. So the fulfillment side of it is actually, it's, it's kind of, I've got the warehouse, I've got the team um, and we're good at it. Like, And we're good at doing it really carefully because our, our, our orders are bespoke and it's packed to order and there's kind of a care that needs to go into that and a lot of small businesses are very nervous about handing over that fulfillment to anyone but actually all that I've learned from moving it from my house and packing boxes myself to what we're doing now means that we can do that for other businesses who possibly don't want to take out a warehouse themselves and they haven't got a team to do it and we can do that for him but for them but that also brings in revenue for us so that's kind of a bit of a focus at the moment just when until we know what's going to happen you know like the you I mean there's budget announcement this week I, it's really unpredictable and I'm sure you've seen as well a number of small businesses that you would think are pretty solid just closing in the last few weeks there's been at least four who I've followed and who were doing it alongside me really um, and they've just found that they can't do it anymore yeah it doesn't make any sense anymore or something's just tip tip the balance and yeah run out of steam or they uh, you know and I think a lot of it's financial know. I think it's yeah. it's there's there's less customers in the market they're more expensive to get all the costs of everything have gone up with like Brexit and your market is smaller because you can't ship to the EU or if you do it's going to cost you a lot like all this stuff is kind of stacked against us and it makes it really difficult I think and I can I can see why people have gone Either they've run out of money or they've gone, I can't do this anymore because it's not being made easy. But, you know, we've got an amazing team and our our customers. I started 
last year it was our kind of eight years and I, I did a load of interviews with the I think it was about 12 customers, just asking them about the business and why they bought from us and what did they get from it and what did the recipients say. And it was such a good exercise to do because it really got me back to like, oh, this is what we do and this is what we do really well. That hasn't gone away. It's just harder to get customers at the moment. Um, but that core idea of the business still stands. And I think that's important as well. It's such a valuable exercise. And, you know, it's quite easy to find people who will chat to you if you are wondering about doing something like that, if you're wondering about what people want. Whenever I've asked, would anybody mind talking to me about yourself and what you need? Like people, they're really happy to, really, really happy to help. Just to end on, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experiences so generously, Steph. But if somebody out there was thinking about turning what they're doing into a bigger business Mm -hmm. about trying to fill a gap in the market that they see you got one or two big bits of advice for them I would I would say get going Uh, like don't don't worry about what everyone else is doing because it it doesn't serve you well I think we now are so connected that you can see what everyone else is doing and I'm really worried about competitors and and still now someone will send me something have you seen what this person's doing it's like okay but they're not us and all I can do is keep being the best version of what we are and keep going so but I think once you you can fanny about worrying about your logo and you know and what your first products you stock is or is your service exactly right and actually as soon as you're live you will very very quickly get feedback either because something doesn't sell or your customers will tell you or they'll love it and then you'll know you're on the right track and I think I think women probably in particular, we just, we're holding off to get it perfect and thinking that it needs to be big. But actually all of this stuff, you can start really small. Like it was really incremental, the growth, the involving other people. Like I didn't, I didn't turn around one day and go, right, I've got a 28 grand job and I'm going to hire someone to do that job. It was like, I need a bit of help packing. I need a few hours. There were some girls at the local college who would come after college and come and help pack. I didn't start by having someone five days a week. It's a very, very different operation, but it's like, what can you start with that's going to get you going? And and don't think that that's it. That's not your final. No, nothing. There's no business that you love and admire now that is what they started as. They've all evolved. So I think that's that's probably a big lesson. Thank you so much. Well, here are my top three takeaways from that conversation. People buy feelings, not things. What feelings are you selling? Do take up the space you need in your relationship, or perhaps that one is choose your life partner wisely, and don't send her flowers. If you love the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, then tell your friends about it. Go and do it now. Share us on Instagram stories and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week. I'm so excited for you to listen to all the other excellent guests I have lined up in this series. They are mega. Much love for now. Thank you for listening.